I left the land and I left my two daughters to begin with, which was the worst time of my life. Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Dr. Heidi Brocky. Heidi Brocky is a toxic relationship awareness and healing specialist. After 14 years in an extremely emotionally and narcissistically abusive relationship, she broke the chains and turned her past into her passion. She left her 24-year career in healthcare to be the person she needed when she herself was trapped in the darkness of an unhealthy relationship to provide hope, healing, and freedom to those whose lives have been affected by toxic relationships, emotional abuse, and narcissistic behaviors. Today, she has helped hundreds rid and heal their toxic relationships and host the popular podcast, It's Not Normal, It's Toxic. Rid your life of toxic people with over a million listeners worldwide. She's an international keynote speaker, recipient of Empowering Women in Business of the Year Award by Inspiring Lives Magazine, and has been featured in both Forbes and Time Magazines for the dedication given to her clients and for her work in the toxic relationship area. Are you in a toxic relationship? If so, tune in because you're going to get a lot out of this episode. I'm speaking with Dr. Heidi Brocky and we're talking about toxic relationships, emotional abuse, and narcissistic traits. Here we go. Okay, everybody, we are with Dr. Heidi Brocky today. We are talking about emotional abuse, narcissistic traits, and so much more. Welcome, Dr. Heidi. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to have you. Let's get started with just defining what is toxic, because I I feel like we have so many different meanings, and I would love to hear yours. So a little back history. Um, I am not a mental health professional by trade. I am a chiropractor acupuncturist. So that's where my doctor uh, comes from. And so I always like to say that just so, so people aren't assuming that they're listening to a mental health professional, my experience with what I, the job that I do now is, is just that it's experience. Um, And so I am now retired from healthcare and I do this full time. Um, I chose the word toxic about seven years ago when I started it uh, before toxic was everywhere, all over everything. Um, and the reason I chose that word is because it's, it's really just a blanket phrase. It is not a diagnosis. It's an adjective that is used to describe any relationship in the status that it's in. That's unhealthy for you mentally, physically, or emotionally. And I think that a lot of times people are trying to define toxic as a checklist. Okay. This is toxic or this isn't toxic. And in reality, you know, toxic can be anything from the bully on the playground all the way up to like the person I ran away from and the things you're seeing on Netflix. And and toxic does not discriminate. Uh, a toxic relationship can be obviously in intimate relationships and partner type things. Um, it can be in family circles, social circles, coworker situations, friendships. And at the end of the day, the thing that that the listeners really need to wrap their head around is we are the ones that get to decide who in our life is healthy for us and who is not. So rather than pointing the finger at they're toxic, they're toxic, they're toxic, you internally get to decide, is this person healthy for me or is this person toxic for me? Because obviously it isn't a diagnosis and it's all based on your perception of what's healthy for you. 
Got it. And we hopefully get to that point, but usually it takes time and it takes noticing, you know, where we're at and what we've been uh, put through. So do you have a story that you can share or just giving us a perspective of why this would be your topic of choice? Well, yes, I have a story, but you said we only have 30 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) The cliff notes. So in short, uh, my story is I grew up in a little Christian community on a dairy farm in the middle of Montana. So I only saw the same people every day, every week for 18 years. And when I left um, for doctorate, for my doctorate education, I really believe I had a uh, perception in my head that everybody was like that. You know, now looking back at that community, obviously it's, it's not like I thought it was when I left, obviously there's a lot of stuff, but, um, and so I went out into the world thinking, okay, you're going into healthcare and you're going to help people and you're going to fix people. And, and it was in, in graduate school that I met my former husband, um, who I did spend 15 years with. Uh, I have two daughters with him, but I knew the very first time I met him that I didn't, I felt funny. You know, um, I didn't really want to go on the first date, but I am also the one that doesn't want to be the bad guy. And I don't want to make anybody mad. And I don't want to think that, you know, he thinks bad of me. And so we went on the first date. And of course, I didn't really want to go on the second date because I didn't feel comfortable. But we talked down our uncomfortableness and, um, you know, flash forward two kids uh, uh, practice together, a ranch together, all this intertwined financial everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole entire time I always felt like something was off, but I could not put my finger on it. And I could not do enough in that relationship to make that relationship, uh, a space where I felt comfortable. And I, I want to stop you right there because that is so common. A few things that you said, first of all, something doesn't feel right, but we're either too busy or we just turn it down because we don't have the time or the space or whatever it is to dive into that. That's the first thing. And then we get more and more involved and then it just becomes so much harder because now not only are we so intertwined with this other person and a life with them, but we also have, you know, in your case, years of experience of being with someone who is, let's say toxic for you. So, so you're, you're here, you are, it's, you know, you're going through the years you know something isn't right. What was it that had you say, you know something, it's, this really isn't right and I need to do something about it? Well, I'm going to say this and it's going to sound terrible, but I, I'll follow it up later um, because the listeners are going to go, what is wrong with her? Like everybody in my life did, right? Um, about girlfriend number 15, I decided it was enough. Okay, no, these were never admitted to. They were always very behind the scenes and very sneaky. And now that I understand it, it's completely clear to me. But when when you're standing in the middle of these situations, logically, we can look at them and go, I don't think this is really healthy for me. But for those of us who are emotionally wired, as soon as emotions get involved, it clouds our logic. And well, maybe if I just try harder, well, maybe if, you know, if I just keep my mouth shut, well, maybe if I can just convince him that he hurt me and he can understand it. So you spend years and years and years in that. And um, again, there's so much foundation that goes to this, but I divorced, I divorced and um, two years post-divorce, nothing changed. Mm -hmm. Um, He refused to sign a parenting plan. He refused to split the business, refused to divide the property. So here I was so excited that I was finally out of this and there was nothing about it that I was out of 
again, now I completely understand it. Um, so, so, you know, I talk about certain things on my podcast and people will hear me talk about the day I actually had to run away. And I was two years divorced the, the day that I ran away. And I do not allow my clients to do this, but I signed my practice over. I signed my patients over. I signed my accounts receivable over. I left the land and I left my two daughters to begin with, which was the worst time of my life. Um, they're grown. They're fine now. They get it. They totally understood why, you know, why I left, but I moved four hours away and he kept my girls from me for almost five years. Oh, wow. And it was during this five years that I really started looking back and going, okay, when I was in that and, and for your listeners who are in it, they're, they're probably going to all be nodding their heads. I was so in tune to what he said and what he did. Mm -hmm. or what he was going to say, or what he was going to do. Or if he does this, I'll have plan A and plan B. And if he does this, I'll have plan A and plan B. Because my personality, like most that step in these type of relationships, is the kind, caring, loving, giving, fixer, supporter. You know, I'm, I'm in healthcare. I'm the conflict avoider. I'm the peacekeeper. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I spent 14 years in that trying to avoid conflict. And in order to do that, I have to try and stay one step ahead. So it's okay. What's he going to do next? Where do I have to be? It was, it was a living in survival mode type of situation. And my girls did the same exact thing. They were very used to his behavior. They learned to anticipate it and they learned to react. You um, know, and I, I just want to, again, I just want to pause you right here because here's the thing. We have these beautiful traits, right? Think about it. Loving, giving, trusting, wide open heart. And what we don't want to do is just feel like, well, you know what? I can't be like that. I just absolutely have to close down and, and can't be this loving, giving person that I am. Yes, you can. But it was just that person took advantage of yes. who you are. Yes. And, and, you know, it was during that four years that I figured out exactly what you're talking about. I had the time to look back. And by four years, I had kind of decided, I don't know that I'll ever have a relationship with my girl, with my daughters again. Mm -hmm. So I have to figure out how to get myself out of this and get my life moving. So I really started looking back on it and realizing I never even took the time to think about, okay, what motivates his behavior? Yes, this is what he's saying. And this is what he's doing. And, and that's basically where this new career came from. Mm -hmm. is I do a ton of education on the toxic personality mm -hmm. because I'm guessing the work that you're in, you've had experience with something like this, right? Of course. And, of course. You don't study betrayal because you like the topic. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. That's what people are like. Why do you want to do that for your life work? I know you don't understand it. Um, but in reality, what we have to look at is we have to look at what drives the toxic personality attracts them to our personality. And, and whether it's the bully on the playground or all the way up to the, you know, the more extremely toxic personalities, what drives them is insecurity in themselves, mm -hmm. right? And they can't put enough into their own life to feel secure. So they have to place people in their life that feed them the things that they feel that makes them feel secure. Yeah. So you have somebody who needs to feel control and needs to feel power and needs the attention. Well, what type of personality are they going to go after? Oh, the good, kind, caring, loving, conflict avoider, peacekeeper. So for all of you who are thinking, I can't believe I picked them. They probably picked you the minute they knew your personality. And, and back to what you were saying, this is a good personality to have. We just have to be a lot more picky with who we share it with. And, and that's what it is. Narcissistic supply. And, you know, I write about it, this in trust again. It's like a, like the tick on the dog. 
you know, the, the tick is just sucking the living life, the, the blood out of this dog. And the dog is just the perfect host. And, and, you know, this giving loving personality to this type of person is just the absolute perfect exchange in their world because they're not willing or able to give this. And, and here's this abundance of supply. So, but I'm, and, but and I'm because we're like that, mm-hmm. we're willing to adapt. We change who we are to become what they need because that's our personality. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can change that. I can fix that. I can do better. And in the end, they change the rules or move the goalpost anyway. So you never really quite get there, but our personality is willing to change who we are for them to make things better. So tell me about the, like those four years where you were doing now your changes, what did you notice about yourself? Like, what were you sort of leaving behind? What were you learning and gaining? How did you change? Well, people ask me that all the time. And when I think back, if I had to lay it out, I don't know, but a lot of the things that I had to do when I left I didn't have a choice because I, I left and I had to start a new practice because that, that was the only thing I knew. So I had to, with my low self-esteem and my low self-confidence and the thought that I can't do anything or be good at anything, because that's what I'd heard for so many years, I had to step over the fear of, well, we've got to try it. So one of the first things I, I made myself start doing is making decisions because our decision-making ability becomes completely stripped in these type of relationships, you know, and it's, it's intentional by the toxic person, because if you can't make little decisions, you're not going to make a big decision to leave. So when you go to the beauty shop and you're going to get your hair trimmed and you get it all cut off and you're kind of excited and you're confident and you go home and they say, you know, I only like your hair long. The next time you go, you're not going to go, how does Deb want to wear her hair? You're going to go, how do I think he wants me to wear my hair? And through years and years of that, we get very scared to make decisions. So one of the first things I realized is he had me believing that a firing squad was going to show up if I made the wrong decision. Mm -hmm. And I just had to learn, make a decision. And if it's not the right one, make another one. And I've been out for 14 years and I've never seen a firing squad. And I've definitely had to remake decisions. So that was one of the first things I, I just forced myself to start doing. Um, the other thing is putting myself in situations that were uncomfortable for me. You know, what are people going to think? Are people going to like me? You know, I, I did not talk about my story when I was in it because I was still living there and things got worse. I didn't talk about my story when I left because how do I explain my, I'm a mom that left two teenage daughters four hours away. So I didn't talk about it then either. And so I was very, very, um, insecure putting myself into women's groups or into the new yoga class or into anything like that, because, you know, all this baggage I have that nobody knows, I guess you could call it shame. Mm -hmm. And so I would force myself to do things I hadn't done. And, and if I didn't like it, who cares? Don't, you don't have to do it, find something else. But I was really pushing myself and challenging myself, Mm -hmm. you know, to do that kind of thing. The other thing I found interesting is I have been remarried, happily remarried for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And, um, I had given up so much in that relationship because isolation is one of the things that, that they use to keep you close. Mm -hmm. So I'd given up all my hobbies. I didn't have any friends. I hardly spoke to my family. So when I stepped into this new relationship, I found myself following him around just like I'd been trained to follow my former around. 
And he said one day, you know, to, a good relationship is two independent people that work well together. So you, I love that you like to be with me. Like you want to come and work the cattle when I'm roping, great. But you don't have to. Like you can find your own hobby. So I ended up bodybuilding for a couple of years just because I needed to find something that could occupy my time. Well, mm-hmm. who who in the world does that? You know, and and the biggest thing for me with that is here I'm standing on stage with 14 people telling me everything that's wrong with me, which was very much triggering to me. But what it did is it it built my self-confidence so much, just not even the bodybuilding, just doing something for myself. Well, and what I see with that also is it's, there's such a link between physical strength and mental, emotional strength. You know, it's, yep. it's like, you know, you're, you're preparing, it's like, as you're preparing your body to become stronger, you're, you're doing something for your mind as well. Yep. So I can yep. totally see that. Yeah. And, and, you know, the other thing, we leave those relationships so insecure because the more insecure they can make us feel, the more secure they feel. Mm-hmm. Right. So we leave these relationships so insecure. And what I realized over the years is what what makes us feel secure? Oh, it's the things we put into our own life. It's the good friend group. The kids are doing well. You know, we've been in the gym a couple of times. We're staying on our meal plan. We, you know, we invest in ourselves and that's what makes us feel secure. And it took me several years to figure that out. Mm-hmm. We, we stop all of our self-care because our attention's always on them. Right you know, and then we feel guilty when we take care of ourselves. So that was a huge push. Just, you have to do it. It's not selfish, you know, and there were some mornings that I didn't want to do it. And I would push myself to just, you have to do it. And, and I still, I still have triggers. I'll still find myself all of a sudden in this slump of, well, why do you feel not good about yourself? Why are you feeling off balance? Because you quit working out because you fell off your meal plan because you haven't called your mom in three weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, so I have to really keep myself in check because I still fall into those old. Right. right. And um, I always try to get into the minds of my listeners and viewers. And, and I'm sure um, they're wondering, and I am too, how did you, uh, how did you, uh, not, I wouldn't say reconcile, but how did you sort of make it work again with your girls? Because I'm sure that had to be so painful for you to leave them and for them as well. So how how did you, how did you work that out? So a couple of the reasons I left and I, 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 by the time I left, I was fearful for my life. Mm -hmm. Um, because when I started standing up for myself, things began to get physical. Um, it would never have been a, a intent type accident. It would have been an accident in a fit of rage. So I knew I was getting to the point that I had to figure out how to get out of there, but also I looked at my girls and they're 11 and 13. And this is the only example of a relationship that they have. And they think it's normal. They've been living in it. You know, it's the stinky room. They've been in it so long. It doesn't smell. And then I looked at myself as a mom and as an example. And I thought, if there is any way that I'm going to be the person that they need, I need to get out of here and I need to take care of myself so that when they get out of here, They've got me to lean on because I've already been through it. And excuse me, um, 11 and 13 was when I left. Um, I saw them a couple times when things would get really bad. They'd run away and come to me, but he would threaten them or promise to buy them things. And they would, they would always go back. But when they were 17 and 19, they actually left the same way I did. They waited till they went to work and they ran away and they've been 
gone. My oldest talks to him occasionally. My youngest hasn't spoken to him in five years. And what they have learned is they're the ones that get to decide what level he gets to be in their life to be healthy. And the youngest one cannot, cannot do it. Right. And for her, I guess that's a much better and safer approach. And now here you are showing them strengths and showing them how they can, how they can do it too. So talk to us about how some, because here's what happens, you know, and you know, this, we, we come from something similar or we, we have a low self-esteem and then these relationships, not that they're good. They're just so familiar, you know, we know how to do it. So then when we do find a relationship or we enter into relationships, whether it's friends, you know, or, or partners or whatever, that some are easy and some aren't, you know, I see so many people who are terrified of, of something that's normal and healthy because of how unfamiliar it is. Um, It's funny that you said how some are easy and some are hard because that was the very thing that made me start looking at my relationships. How come some seem so easy and some seem so hard? And one, one of the things I do now, if it's uncomfortable, they never get in my inner circle. You know, I used to be the one that everybody can come in my inner circle and I'll fix it. I'll support. And I spent the last 14 years kicking them out. So, so I'm very picky with that. But one of the things that I think people are frightened of coming out of these type of relationships and trying to step back into normal toxic people are very addicted to chaos and drama because of their need for power and control and attention. If they can stir up drama, if they can cause a fight, if they can cause a big ruckus, if there's always something going on, people's attention are is on them and they feel that power and control. So those who are living in the residual outside of that get very used to operating in a land of chaos. So when we step out of that, we're always on guard. We're always waiting for the shoe to drop. And when when we step into something that's peaceful or something that's easy, it feels uncomfortable because we are so conditioned that something else is gonna happen right now. And uh, like when my kids left, they could only stay in the same spot for about three months. It felt really good to be a peaceful place for about a month. But then after that, they started feeling very anxious because 15 years of something should be going on. What's going to happen? And, and they would pick a fight at school or they'd get caught up in drama or they'd, they'd pack up and, and move and take a job somewhere else. And I'll never forget when my oldest was in the same spot for two years, she called me and she's like, mom, I have literally been living in the same spot for two years. It's the first time I've ever done that since I left. Wow. But it's, it's, it's us learning that our lives are supposed to be peaceful. They're supposed to be balanced. The only reason they were thrown off balance is because somebody else was controlling it. We were basic. I was basically living his life. There was nothing about my life. That was my life. Right. And, and it's so, and that's the thing. I, it's so common. We get so, we're doing it for such a big hearted reason, but we pay such a big price. And then, you know, here's the ripple effect. Then of course, this is what the kids see and this is what the kids learn. And then this is what the kids do. And, and I'm so glad your you know, your daughters had a, 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 they saw things clearly and made some different decisions, but, the, but that's really important for them for, to talk about also, because it is that chaos that we can get used to. Doesn't mean it's good. Doesn't mean it's keeping life exciting. It's not supposed to be like that. You want to create all your excitement in the world because you're, you're living your passion and pursuing all these wonderful things. That's one thing, but a chaos, but chaos in a, in a destructive way certainly is not, you know, what, what we're looking to do. So, so, 
Talk to us about how do you leave an abuser? Because there are so many people who are like, there's no way I can leave. I don't have any money. I don't have the whatever skills or tools or support or whatever. How do I leave? What do you tell them? So, so the, the basis of what I teach is if I would know now, or if I would have known then what I know now, mm-hmm. it would have, it would have gone completely different. And, and the first thing that you have to understand when you are contemplating leaving, because you know it as well as I do, I thought about leaving that relationship every day for 14 years. Okay. So it's tricky because it's not 100% bad. Right. So if we make it through the bad day on Tuesday, Wednesday's not so bad. So then, oh, it's okay. And then Thursday might be bad, but Friday won't be bad. So we do this up and down thing. And we never really get to talk about the bad things because that might make Friday bad also. So we take all the bad stuff, we stick it under the rug somewhere, and we learn to operate that way. So when we think about leaving, we think about, oh, well, it's not, it wasn't that bad on Wednesday and and Friday, right? So, so it's very confusing emotionally because they're nice some of the time and it's awful some of the time. Mm -hmm. So you and I only know how to see the world through our emotionally wired self, you know, and, and I remember, and I'm sure you can do this too. Something happened. And in your head, you look at him and you go, well, you think this, you don't say this out loud. How come you can't just be normal? Like, why can't you just be nice? And, and the misnomer is, we keep thinking that they're going to wake up some morning and act like us. Mm-hmm. And in reality, they are wired completely different than us. So in order for you to be able to make the decision that's best for you, you have to be able to see their motivation and basically see their behavior through their eyes. So that's always the first thing I teach. Yes, this is what he's doing and this is what he's saying, but tell me why he's doing and saying that. Because people will soon realize they, they use the same playbook every single day. But, but your toxic personality is emotionally abusive, meaning they're looking for emotional reactions. If they can say or do something to make you happy or make you sad or make you frustrated or make you feel guilty, they're in control of your emotions because all they have to do when you want to leave is go, I can't believe you're breaking up the family. And we immediately feel guilty, right? Well, if we take two seconds to look, it really isn't a family. It's an abusive, destructive mess. But all they have to say is, I can't believe you're breaking up the family. And we go, oh, you're right. right. I'll stay because I don't like the feeling of guilt. Right, right. You know, and and the thing too is once there's financial um, abuse and once you, like we talked about all these things that are intertwined, we look at leaving and all we see is this huge ginormous mountain. And we go, that is going to be way too hard. It is way easier for me to stay in something that's familiar. Even Mm -hmm. if it's bad, I know how to operate in it. I've learned how to survive in it and I can function in it. Than me stepping out and trying to get over that mountain when I have no idea what's on the other side. It's the devil, you know. And you know, what's what's so important about what you said is seeing it through their eyes because I think that is one of the biggest challenges we have. We think we think a certain way. So we assume that this is what someone else is thinking too. And, and in the world of betrayal, which is my world, you know, it's inconceivable for, for, you know, for certain people to, to betray. So that, you know, it's such a shock to be on the receiving end of it. Yes. And I think is when we're talking, while we're talking about betrayal, one of the biggest things for my clients to wrap their head around is in the beginning of these relationships, you know, you and I don't, 
we step into relationships for partnership and companionship and, you know, intimacy and emotional support. And we wouldn't step into a relationship or a friendship for anything other than those type of things. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning, your toxic personality is going to lead you to believe that their goals are the same as yours. Mm -hmm. So we go, Oh, good. And we head down this relationship path thinking, here we go working towards the same goals. And part of the betrayal comes in when you realize they're only in it for security in themselves. And here you're thinking we're in this together and we're a team and, and that's not true. So that was the first huge piece of betrayal for me because he says this, but none of his actions show this. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about betrayal, I mean, it, it is a consistent cycle of this is your goal. And they're making you think it's their goal. And it 100% is not. Well, there's a lot of mirroring going on because they're looking at it saying, okay, well, this is important to you. So I'm going to make this sound like it's important to me too. And then, you know, we think we're on the same page. Yes. And, and two, you know, we talk about the things the toxic personality needs to feel from other people, the control, power, attention, admiration. In the beginning of the relationship, we are throwing them a ton of attention and admiration, right? Well, as soon as they get to a certain spot in the relationship and they know your securities and insecurities and they know your strengths and weaknesses and they know all your secrets and everything about your dark past. And, you know, because we, we do, we just open up and just blip to them because they tell us how trustworthy they are mm -hmm. and we're their soulmate and they love everything about us. So we open up very quickly, but as soon as they know enough about us, they move us from the one who's supplying a lot of attention and admiration into the one that they're feeling a lot of power and control over. And that's when people feel the shift in the relationship. Mm -hmm. He never called me names until I got pregnant or there was never a problem until we moved in together. Okay. Those type of things, having a baby, getting married, getting engaged, you know, in this type of relationship, they're actually a trap. So it's harder for you to leave, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and they're stressful times. So I yep. can see a lot of people making excuses for this toxic person, you know, say, well, they're under a lot of stress with this new baby or, you know, with this new house or whatever. And, and we're big benefit of the doubters. Our personality, you know, oh, they had a bad day or they didn't have a great upbringing or their dad left when they were five or we can justify. And then we think we can help fix them and we mm -hmm. can love it out of them. And we can just show them how supportive we are. They're not even looking for that. Yeah. They're looking for control, power, attention and admiration. So they feel secure. And I remember, you know, the betrayal stuff that I felt when I was in the relationship, when I would find out about a girlfriend, oh my gosh, I was devastated. What does she have that I don't have? And is she skinnier? And is she blonde? And is she blah? Well, now looking back, I was the one in the control power spot. He was out seeking attention and admiration elsewhere. Because if you think about like your dictators in history, they don't go conquer one country and go, yeah, that's good enough. Mm -hmm. The more people they can have supplying them with the feeling of power and giving them attention. So it's the same way with the toxic personality. The more people that supply it, the more secure they feel. But yeah. meanwhile, we're, you know, treading water, just one, trying to understand and two, just trying to survive. And trying to make sense out of it. Dr. Heidi, what do you want to make sure everyone knows as we wrap this up? Um, two things. Uh, one is... If you feel like there is no options, there 100% is options. And you've kind of heard how I left. I have worked with clients for seven years and I have never allowed one of my clients to leave the same way I did. I know enough about it now that there are options that you can, that you can get out. The other thing is you're the one that gets to decide this. 
We were, we were not put on this planet to live somebody else's life. You were put on this planet for a reason. And, and there is actually a hidden mission somewhere within you. We're just, we're just still looking for it. And, you know, I have a lot of people go, oh my gosh, if you could go back, what would you do different? Well, years ago, I used to be like, oh my gosh, I would never marry him. Like I would change everything. Now, this is the best job I've ever had because it makes my past make sense. So now, I mean, I wouldn't want to live those 14 years again, but looking back, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything. My girls are strong. They take care of themselves. I have the best career ever. I get to meet people and I get to help people. Yeah. So Using your biggest you crisis right as your greatest gift. That's yep. the whole, that's the whole idea. And, and I really feel like it's an obligation. If we've been through something, how do you not learn something powerful that can help so many people and not do something with it? Yes, so I totally agree. We're definitely glad that you did. Well, and, I want to thank you so much. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, and the listeners, you're, if you're listening and you're in one of these situations, you're all at different stages. Okay, you are right where you are supposed to be right now. And the number one thing I would start doing is educating yourself on their behavior and why they do it, because that's where you're going to get your power back. Understanding them is where you're going to get your power back. And you're going to realize that this is classic behavior. It's not just them. I mean, this is classic narcissistic behavior. We even have one of our most popular coaches within the PBT Institute specializes in narcissistic behavior because of how common it is yes. to just and, fall into this trap. And in in my opinion, I don't care if I don't care if they're a narcissist. I don't care if they're bipolar. I don't care if they had a traumatic upbringing. The question you need to ask yourself is is this relationship healthy for me? regardless of what they have going on. Yeah. And based on who I want to be and what I, you know, what I'm, what I'm here to do, where do we go to learn more about you and your great work? So I have a podcast. It's called, it's not normal. It's toxic. It's like yours. It's on all the major platforms. Uh, Coaching with Dr. Heidi is the website. There is something called the, the toxicity profile analysis on the website. And it is, it's a long quiz, but it, it asks you questions um, about, you know, have you ever been criticized? Do you have somebody in your life who belittles your dreams? It, it kind of makes you think, oh, the stuff that I've been living with that I thought is normal may not be so normal. And you can, you can find that on the website. Also, I do have a support group. Um, I keep it very positive. We don't do a toxic person bashing, but I have a support group on Facebook that's called strength within for a community of people that are going through the same thing. Oh, that's great. Okay. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time. I know you, uh, you help so many people going through relationships just like this and wondering how to get out of it. So thank you so much for your time and your insight. Yes. Thanks for having me. First of all, if you're in a toxic relationship, please know that you're not alone and there are so many reasons why it may have been hard to even see it, let alone leave. But now that you know a bit more, what can you do to build yourself up so you have the confidence you need to take the next step? Stay in touch with Dr. Heidi by going to coachingwithdrheidi.com and we'll have all of her information in the show notes at thepbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. You're in a stinky room. You've been in there so long it doesn't smell, but it really does. When we look at the relationship through our eyes, we can't understand how or why something is happening because we're comparing it to what we do and how we treat others. 
Yet, when we see it through their eyes, it's all painfully clear, and you deserve so much better than that. Heal the shame, start making decisions that support you, and of course, we're here to help. Stop by the PBTinstitute.com, the PBT as in post-betrayal transformation institute.com and see which of our programs are the best fit for you so that you can move through your healing once and for all. Like this episode, share this podcast with a friend. How? From your phone, just take a screenshot of the podcast and share it with someone you know who'd benefit. Thanks for listening. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough.